0: Hello and welcome back to Coffee Books, the podcast where I read books about coffee while I drink coffee. We are continuing on today in The Curious Barista's Guide to Coffee, written by Tristan Stevenson in the middle of page 70. Let's continue. Sweetness. Sweetness is a confusing concept when it comes to coffee, on the one hand. It is estimated that over 50% of coffee drinkers in the UK and around 35% in the US add sugar to their coffee. But on the other hand, we use words like caramel, chocolate, nougat, and brulee to describe an unsweetened cup. A roasted coffee bean comprises approximately 0.2% sugars, a relatively small amount by itself, and even smaller once brewed with water meaning that a typical cup of french press coffee is only around 0.06% sugar. I place the word sugars in italics since we are not necessarily talking about the everyday white granules that come in a bag, but other long-chain polysaccharides that exhibit some sugary characteristics, but with far less actual sweetness than the type of sugar we are familiar with. A cup of coffee is not inherently sweet but familiar sweet aromatics created during roasting, see pages 50 to 62 coupled with trace amounts of complex sugars and caramels, give a perception of sweetness in the cup. A higher viscosity, i.e. thickness in the cup, likely amplifies this perception too. I personally see sweetness as an excellent objective for any kind of coffee brewing, with it seeming to peak at just the right moment where all other contributing forces balance perfectly. Bitterness Bitterness is commonly used as a scapegoat for all manner of imperfections in a brew. For many of us, if a coffee tastes bad, it's because it's bitter. This is a little unfair, however, since the sensation which we describe as bitterness is often that of astringency or sourness, and in the case of espresso-based drinks, the source of bitterness comes not from the coffee itself, but from overcooked or burnt milk. Two compounds, trigonelline and quinic acid, the same stuff that provides tonic water with its bitterness, are thought to contribute much of the bitterness in coffee. Caffeine, though assumed to be flavorless, actually tastes bitter too. See pages 73 to 75. By itself, bitterness is an unpleasant sensation, but it can do a great job of focusing sweetness and taming acidity when balanced correctly. It's the structure that bitterness offers that brings order to the other elements of a cup of coffee. The presence of bitterness in the cup is often down to over-extraction of the coffee. This means that a very slow espresso extraction or a very long French press brew will produce a more bitter coffee. Likewise, a very quick extraction will exhibit low levels of bitterness. The grind size, brewing temperature, and water see pages 75-78, to will also affect this, as will the darkness of the roast, since darker roasts have a higher solubility and in turn produce a more bitter cup. It seems plausible that bitter compounds are slower to extract than those of sweetness and acidity, but once they do come through, it is easy for them to dominate a cup. Acidity Acidity might sound scary, but it is a very important element in a good cup of coffee. Providing fruitiness, juiciness, roundness, and one of my favorite features, refreshment. Those at the early stages of coffee discovery often find it quite surprising how clean, grippy acidity can set apart a cup of well brewed coffee from what they might be used to. High acidity coffees tend to be grown at higher altitude and tend to have undergone the fully washed processing method. See pages 31 to 32. Some coffee producers, from countries like Kenya and Colombia, have built a reputation for producing bright, acidic coffees. There are many different acids in roasted coffee, but the most abundant are citric, also found in citrus fruits, malic, also found in apples, lactic, found in dairy products, and acetic, vinegar. However, the concentration of acids within a cup of coffee is not an accurate gauge of acidity, since the buffering effect of salt, as well as the presence of bitterness and sweetness, can all skew our perception of acidity. A study by the Technical Unit of the International Coffee Organization in 1991 showed that grind size, brew time, and brew temperature all have an effect on extraction of the 30 or so acids in roasted coffee. As you would expect, a finer grind produces a slightly more acidic coffee, but with increasingly higher temperatures and longer brew times, the concentration of acids peaks before 100 degrees Celsius or 212 degrees Fahrenheit and 14 minutes, respectively. What this means is that with very long brews and very high temperature brews, some acids are denatured or destroyed altogether, reducing their overall concentration. The acid concentration, or pH, of roasted coffee changes through the course of the roast. Green coffee generally has a pH of around 5.8, which drops to approximately 4.8 on or around the time of first crack. Aroma The concept of aroma is not limited to the simple act of smelling coffee as it wafts over towards us. Retronasal smell Or the smell that we experience as we breathe out through our noses when holding a mouthful of coffee is also a hugely important factor. Once combined with the sensory input from the tongue concerning taste, texture and temperature, as well as other stimuli, the brain is able to devise an accurate representation of the coffee. These are slight chemical changes in our gray matter but a powerful emotive experience to our consciousness. If you've ever held a drink in your mouth while holding a thumb and finger over your nose, you'll have found that flavor is pretty boring when the nose isn't involved. It is the hundreds of volatile aromatics in coffee interacting with the olfactory epithelium, one of the specialized types of tissue, in our noses that gives us the larger chunk of a coffee's flavor profile. The breadth and complexity of such things is certainly beyond my own understanding and superfluous to the scope of this book. But in summary, many of the aromatic qualities that we associate with a cup of coffee come from the furan family, aromas including toffee and bran, pyrazine family, aromas such as earthiness, vegetal, walnut, and theazole family, aromas like toast, nuts, and brown meat. The Significance of Scales I think it goes without saying that taking time to accurately measure and record your adventures in coffee will make for tastier brews and improved consistency in the future. Working with digital scales instead of measuring jugs or cups or spoons helps this process as it's faster, more precise, less messy and requires no additional equipment. Scales are actually a more appropriate way of measuring things for all areas of culinary arts, but in the case of coffee they are notably of great use when directly comparing the mass of solids and liquids for brew ratio and extraction yield calculations see pages 78 to 79. And indeed, a good set of scales has never been more imperative than in the minefields of espresso coffee, which presents challenges when attempting to do things without scales and by volume alone, since the dissolved gases that are part and parcel of the nature of the brewing method can give the illusion of a larger volume of liquid than is actually the case. With that in mind, if you take a flick through the later pages of this book, you'll see that almost every brew method and recipe calls for ingredients to be weighed rather than measured. It might feel awkward at first, but I promise that once you get used to it, you will never look back. And that goes for cooking, too. Thank you for listening. We'll leave off here today at the top of page 73 and continue on next morning. Until then, Good day and good coffee, friends.